That's my name right there. Derek Kimball, that's me. Hey, week three, back inside. Super, super pumped to be here with you guys. Uh, this is seriously one of the highlights of my week. Um, I am graduated from UNI uh, eight-ish years ago. Um, I teach high school math for my full-time job, and then part-time I do stuff with Orchard and you guys, and I just t so enjoy that. So thank you for making me feel welcome as a part of your community. Um, we're going to talk about eating tonight, which is just one of my favorite pastimes. Um, I don't think that we get out of talking about eating for the next 45 minutes, tw 25 minutes, 25 minutes without going to like Buffalo Wild Wings after this or something, right? So uh, I'm just super pumped to get going. Um, before I do, let's pray. God, I thank you for this space. Thank you for this community. I thank you for your leadership and the leaders here at BASIC, all the things that have to happen on a weekly basis to, to, to make this event happen, just how awesome that is. God, I pray for the people in our community, on our campus, in our town, and uh, the folks that are um, experiencing devastation by the hurricanes that are... Uh, plaguing our coastal states in, in recent weeks and coming weeks. Uh, I just pray that you would show up in miraculous ways as you've proven to do time and time again when people gather in your name. We love you. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So base... Sorry. Hello? Yeah, Mom? No, 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 nope, nope, slide the primer lever over to the left, yep, slide it over, okay, now pull the cord, yeah, pull it again, didn't work, okay, slide it back, maybe halfway, put it, put it halfway, try that, there, there's smoke, there's smoke, okay, did you put oil in it, there's no oil in it, okay, don't, don't do it, don't, don't do anything else, don't touch it, I'll come look at it later, I'll come look at Oh, hold on, hold on. My wife, my wife is, is texting me. Uh, she's calling me, so I, I gotta go. Yep, yep, yep. Kristen, yeah. Oh, crap. Okay, um, well, can you... No? Well, maybe I could take... Yeah, I'll take him. I'll take him to practice. Well, wait, can't Michaela and Paul... Are they here? No, they're... Gosh, they're so worthless. Um... <laughs> Uh, okay, I'll take him. Yep, I'll get his cleats. Right, right, yep, that's what we'll do. Then you can come and get him. Great. Yep, bus is coming right now. I can see it. Okay, okay, bye. Love, love, Kristen. No, okay, she, she hung up on me, so sorry about that. That wasn't a real phone call. Um, <laughs> that was, a, I was acting. I don't know if you could tell. I'm such a good actor. Um, but that's how my days sometimes feel. Uh, those are true stories. My mother has fought with the string trimmer for weeks. She uh, finally gave up on it and bought a battery-powered one. Uh, this, the conversation with my wife was one we literally had this last week when I got home and Gideon had to go to football and I had to go run an errand and it was like, oh shoot, how are we gonna, how are we gonna make this happen? I'll take the kids here and I'll hold them and you can come and get them while I do this thing and then you go there and then I'll come here and get them and we'll somehow make it all back home at the end of the night. And sometimes I feel like our lives feel that way. And I know that you can relate. 
that you can feel that way when you have, you know, seven unanswered text messages on your phone, unless you're Sarah Rocco, then you have 27 <laughs> unanswered text messages on your phone, and you have voicemails, and you have things that you're trying to do, papers that are due tomorrow, and oh crap, I haven't written it yet. Is anybody in that situation right now? Okay, yeah, I figured. <laughs> um, and, and we're just busy, and, and I think that busyness sometimes makes us feel like we're on the right path, when really all it means is that we're on a path. And it's easy when we're busy to get tunnel vision and go and veer off in a direction that maybe we don't need, mean to be. A guy named George Gallup has done extensive research in this area. He collected a lot of data uh, about how people view themselves. And, and one thing that he came to realize is that Americans are among the most lonely people in the entire world. Which is strange because we have screens everywhere, right? We have the ability to be so uber connected that you would not think that would be true. But it is. You don't get connected to people through seeing them on a screen like you think you might. Again, unless you're Sarah Rocco and you're on FaceTime like all of the time, that's the way that Sarah Rocco, in, she, she interacts with people in that way. That's why I have an Android. Uh, because, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Sarah, I, I'll stop picking on you. <laughs> people are longing for connection. Social media and screens aren't doing the trick. This is why I just love this letter of the blessed model, eat. Eat is the blessed model, but it's way more than that. So we're gonna be in Acts 2, 42 through 47 tonight. If you have your Bible, get it out. If you didn't bring one, the people in the hospitality team are gonna come down and hand them out. If you don't have one because you forgot it, raise your hand, they'll give you one, use it for tonight. If you don't have one at all, raise your hand, they'll give you one to keep. Take home with you, we just think it's super important to be in uh, in the word, in God's literal word to us. So, Acts is about three-fourths of the way through the Bible. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. And we're going to be in Acts 2, so go ahead and find that. And while you're getting that figured out, uh, I'm going to kind of bring us up to speed from the beginning of Acts to this passage. The beginning of Acts literally takes place like weeks after the death, burial, and resurrection uh, and then the ascension into heaven of Jesus. Okay, and then after that, crazy things happen. The biggest thing is that the, the Holy Spirit comes down. The promised Holy Spirit comes down at this event called Pentecost and uh, it says that tongues of fire floated down onto them and then they began to speak in different languages but they all were able to understand each other uh, even though they were speaking different languages. I don't, I'm not sure how that works, but that's what it says. Uh, and then after that, Peter just like rips into the Jewish leaders and says, hey, you done messed up. You killed the son of God. You, you killed him. You messed up. And then after that, we see they ask, what shall we do? What should we do then? And it says 3,000 people were then added to their number. So that's, that's where we're at. So Jesus has gone to heaven, okay, that's the first thing that's happened. Uh, secondly, the Holy Spirit has come down, 
Thirdly, Peter says, you messed up, Jewish leaders. You've been waiting for this Messiah. He came, you were blind to it. You killed him, you messed up. Uh, and then 3,000 people are added to the, the number of people that believe in Jesus that day. And that is in verse 41, and we are in verse 42. So that's, that's what's happening here in Acts. So let's read Acts 2:42 through 47. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is a strange passage at first glance to me. Um, this is really the earliest view we have of the church after Jesus leaves. Uh, up to this point, the, 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 the Holy Spirit has come down. We're kinda, it's kind of talking about that. Uh, Peter is yelling at people. And then now it's like, okay, but this is what everybody else was doing. This is how everybody else was living. And uh, it just paints a picture of unity. I just can't help but see that. It seems that they do everything together and that they're truly one body. And in verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, comma, to the breaking of bread and prayer. No one seems to suffer. They all uh, eat together. They pray together. They're unified. And the passion with which they're serving each other at this point in history is really pretty unprecedented. So I was kind of wondering as I read this, like, where does this passion come from? Like, why are they behaving in this way? So right away it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. That is, to the, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And I always kind of thought as fellowship, uh, when I was growing up, as that time between the end of the church service on Sunday and afternoon football on Sunday afternoon, like where all of my parents and their friends would stand around and chit-chat about that weather lately, you know, or just, you know, those things. For 45 minutes, we would stand there and, you know, the kids would run around or whatever. I, that's why, because it happened in the fellowship hall. So clearly that was like the fellowship, you know, that was fellowship there. So I didn't really kind of get the emphasis of that. Okay, is that, okay. Um, the beginning of Acts takes place right after the death, burial, and resurrection, and then the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come down and dwell in the disciples. The Holy Spirit came at a time called Pentecost. There seems to be numerous references to eating together in the Bible. And prior to this, Jewish people would not have been caught dead associating with non-Jewish people, let alone inviting them into their homes to eat and, and pray together. Like, they don't even have the same faith up until this point. This is really uh, uh, kind of groundbreaking. We see that the church is being transformed. Uh, their current culture is changing. 
They took it from a divided and segregated one to one that experienced what I would say is true fellowship. Again, Luke defines this as, de as devoting themselves to teaching and then to fellowship, which he says is the breaking of bread and praying together. The act of coming together was a huge deal here. It was countercultural to say the least. And I think that the early church in this passage is just so completely overwhelmed and consumed and incapacitated with the apostles' teaching and their communal prayer and life together that they couldn't help but serve each other because that's what Jesus just literally got done doing. Weeks ago, he had just committed the ultimate sacrifice and his, really his whole ministry. You see him just serving people. You see him with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners, which I don't really know what that means because we're all sinners, but, but that's what it says. And then you see him with, uh, with um, the religious elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and then you see him with massive amounts of people on a hillside feeding 5,000. You see him with people. It's obvious that Jesus desires intentional fellowship. So try to put yourself in this. Jesus has just passed away. He's just been murdered. And you're in this intentional community. And you're just being blasted. You're just being blasted. You are finally realizing the entirety of what Jesus was talking about through all those parables and all of those things that he was saying while, he, while you were with him for three years. They're finally getting what he meant that he had to go to the cross. That he had to die for humanity. And I think they're just completely overwhelmed with the realization of what all, of Je all that Jesus had done and that there's no response but to be unified in this huge gift. There's no greater thing that could have happened in this story. I can't emphasize this enough. This is the gospel, okay? If you're gonna boil it down, this is where it is. Jesus, the literal son of God, has died an awful, horrible death that you and I can't even imagine what it must have been like. Oh, but remember, he knew it was going to happen, and he knew that the people he was going uh, to die for, they were going to betray him, and he, he did it anyway. For you, and for you and for me. For all of us. And then he's up on the cross, and, and this is really what kind of gets me. This really kind of, I can't understand this. He's got, you know, like, railroad spikes in his wrists and in his feet and he says Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing forgive them they just nailed me to a cross but hey Father forgive them they don't know the love that he must have had for humanity is something that I cannot comprehend at all The fellowship of the early church is intense and it's intentional. It is life-giving and blessing the community around them. This is the kind of intimate fellowship that flows from knowing the love of God. And one of the ways we can slow down and give God space to move is to eat intentionally. To eat intentionally. We see this in this passage. They are eating together. They are praying together. They're in community with each other. Now, they probably didn't eat every meal this way, but the picture that Luke painted is that true fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, was experienced in that early church. 
The early church enjoyed the favor of all the people around them because you would too if you knew the love of God so deeply and so intimately that it was overflowing into everyone around you. That would be enjoyable. God's kingdom does not come from people who have wealth or talent. God's kingdom comes from knowing the love of God so deeply that it spills over into everyone around them. This is really what I would say to wrap up this, uh, what's going on here. There is a fuel that is driving them to be compassionate to everyone around them. And that fuel is the never-ending supply of the love of God. We do not have to do anything. We don't have to do anything. What if our only job is to just know as deeply as we can the love of God? And then that love that overflows is what? makes the ripples in our world. Eating intentionally, I think, is a key element in unifying two people and moving them towards true fellowship. Fellowship that is breaking bread and praying together. Jesus even shares his last meal with some of his most intentional friends, hours before he is arrested. Eating together is just a great opportunity for true fellowship. So here's your, here's for me, the first kind of peace that I felt like popped out at me. Number one, know the love of God. Know the love of God as deeply as you can until it overflows. And then what I see here is I see that intentional fellowship, inviting someone to eat with you is the beginning of true fellowship. That's what I see here. And that's what I see as a super applicable takeaway from this for me, to invite people into that intentional time of eating together. Now, I don't mean the McDonald's drive-through and plowing through old office episodes, although that is a great way to spend a Friday night. Lord knows we do it often. Maybe it means that you do that and you ask somebody for prayer or you ask them to pray for you or maybe it's just that you cared enough to go and to say, hey, let's do this together and let's, uh, let's just give God space. Super powerful. The reference in verse 42, breaking bread, again refers to the Last Supper that the disciples had with Jesus. Jesus invited them into an upper room to drink and to eat, and it was probably really intimate and really intentional and just really powerful. And Jesus said, take the cup, this is my body that's going to, take the bread, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. Take the cup, this is my blood that's literally going to be spilled for you in a matter of hours. And what's interesting about this is uh, that, that he, he shared a meal with his disciples and then went and took on the sin of the world. 
We see this happening in Acts where they share meal and prayer together, this intentional fellowship. And then just a few chapters later, we see the first Christian who is martyred for his faith. Stephen is killed because of his faith. I think that God uses this intentional fellowship this iron sharpens iron idea where we are together, united to make ripples out in our world, to change people's lives. Intentional eating and praying together just seems to be linked to large advances in the kingdom of God. So five years ago, I had a big light bulb moment in my life. Uh, the story leading up to that is when Kristen, my wife, uh, and I decided to start to pursue adoption. I remember wondering if I was really passionate about it and wondering whether I would have enough, uh, enough to just see it through. Uh, one thing led to another, and in August of 2012, uh, we left for a trip to Uganda in order to bring home Gideon and Viola, who were two and four years old at the time. And when we met them, I remember it being somewhat emotional, but it was kind of alarming to me at the same time because I did not feel that connection that you think you would feel with, uh, you know, cute little African orphan children. Like, it just was not there for me. I, and we took them, and after a week, I just felt like I was babysitting. After a month, I just felt like I was babysitting. We fly home, I still feel like I'm babysitting, like, like I don't have this connection that I thought I would have, and it turns out that the return policy was non-existent, so it's not like I could do anything about it. Not that I considered it, come on. Gosh. But I just remember feeling really alarmed. And then six months went by, and life was kind of, uh, getting back to as normal as it could be for that time. And, and that did hit me one day, uh, that that feeling had changed, that, that I had, uh, I, don't, I don't know what happened, but I, I thought to myself, it's not like I'm babysitting anymore. These are my kids. I, I would do anything for them. I can't imagine my life without them. And then it really just kind of clicked as I was thinking about this. It clicked that even in the Bible, and it was true in my life at that time, that natural passion is not a prerequisite for God to use me. That passion is not a prerequisite. That the specific giftedness is not a prerequisite for you to be used by God. And I was really worried because I had this, I lacked this passion. But here's what I knew. I knew that God was nudging me. Kristen and I sat in a service in the Gallagher Blue Dorn in 2011 called The Gathering. Have you heard of it? How many people went to The Gathering this year, right? We sat in that service, and Dave Bartlett, he was up there, and I'm sitting in, in, in way more people than this, right? And he just keeps, like, looking at me. He just keeps looking at me. And, and as he's talking, and I'm kind of, like, checking my phone, like, looking away, looking around me. I swear he keeps looking at me. And you know what he was teaching about? He's teaching about how we are adopted into the kingdom of God through the blood of Jesus. And they had adoption stories up on stage, and, and uh, it was like God was just like, not nudging, but he was like punching me in the shoulder, like, hey, you dummy, wake up and, and see that I'm nudging you. And Kristen and I were looking at each other like, you seeing this right now? Oh, gosh. 
And I had a, uh, one of my best friends had just brought home a little boy from Nigeria. And, and it was just like, okay, uh, I think we're supposed to consider this. And we said yes one time, and the doors just kept flinging open, and we were kind of ushered through them. And before we knew it, we, a year later, we were in Africa. And this didn't make any sense. I wasn't fit to be an adoptive dad. Sometimes I still don't feel like I'm fit to be a dad. And at that, at that time, and even still, my wife has uh, some anxiety. She has periods of time where she suffers from panic attacks, where she'll wake up in the middle of the night and have no idea what's going on, but she is panicking. And so um, it did not make sense that we would be chosen to go and fly halfway around the world uh, to a country that had some turmoil at that time. It was not the safest thing in the world, uh, and, and that that would work. Didn't it make sense that God would call us to that? So we fly in, we land on this runway, I look out the window, and there are um, armed guards with like machine guns on the runway, and I'm thinking, I'm not getting off this plane. And she gets off the plane, and she was, she was for three months, two and a half, she was solid. Like you wouldn't have known she had anxiety at all. But she was not, she didn't have the prerequisites, it didn't look like it, to, to go and do that. And I didn't have the prerequisites to go and do that. And I'm not saying this so that you think, oh, good job, Derek and Kristen, you must be obedient servants of God. No, that's not what I'm saying. We said yes to one pretty substantial nudge. I mean, I'm not kidding you. It was like Dave Bartlett is like right here. Like, hi, Callie, I am talking to you right now. That's what he was. I, I promise you he was looking at us. He probably didn't know it. But God was using him to nudge us and we just, we just kind of felt like, okay, all right. And here we are five years later. So natural passion is not a prerequisite for God to use you. I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to go into a time of reflection. Uh, but let me kind of explain here. The early church was changing the course of history. They were doing it by doing a few things. First, they were encountering the love of God so deeply that it overflowed onto everyone else around them. They were focusing on the cross because the cross just happened, right? And they knew the love of God so deeply. And second of all, they devoted themselves to intentionality, to eating together, to praying together, to studying the apostles' teaching. And when you do those two things, when you know the love of God and focus on that so deeply and then put yourself in an intentional fellowship situation, God will nudge you and if you are slowing down enough to recognize that, then say yes to the nudges of God. You have never been more fulfilled, or at least that's my experience. I have never had so much joy or so much fulfillment to when I am saying yes to the nudges of God. And it's a repetitive thing, right? You do it over and over again. Say yes. So as we bow our heads and uh, go into a time of prayer and reflection, um, first, I just want you to reflect on the love of God, to think about the cross.
and try as best as you can to understand what it would have taken to, to take your only son, the only one that you have, and literally send him into this situation where he will suffer the most immense pain ever known to humanity. Focus on that. Take that in for this next minute or so.